episode 148, Chicks with MDs Advocacy. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trotsberg, and today we hear Dr. Lisa Whitley Bradley's perspective. During 2017 and 18 podcast awards nominated host and best-selling author on Amazon as we get a behind-the-curtain look at all types of doctor and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back. Today is a bittersweet episode because this is the last time I can say live in China because we're moving. We've broke down our house. We got four suitcases and some carry-ons. It is stressful, but we knew this going in that it wouldn't be permanent. So we didn't buy a whole bunch of stuff that you can imagine. And then we're going to move to Cologne, Germany in January. So uh, an exciting time. Get Get to spend the holidays with the family. Two of them, actually. That's fantastic. Two holidays. Give you a heads up. The third book is coming out before Thanksgiving. Artwork is getting finished right now. Pretty much, if you want to do business in China, you got to be able to handle the dinners with the round table and the drinking and the losing phase, gaining phase. And so I'm going to walk you through how to do that so you can gain face, not lose face and not look silly and know the nuances and really impress your clientele. So that will be available on Amazon and the webpage and then the relationship book. That's not going to be until late 2020. I mean, I got stage one done compiling, but mixing it all up and editing it and all that bridging the things together. It's going to take a while. So stay tuned. We'll let you know, of course, when that comes out. But today's episode is Dr. Lisa. She's a hand surgeon, fellowship trained, and she has an organization called Chicks with MDs. And it's really it's like an advocacy group for patients and for doctors. So doctors can communicate better with the patients and the patients can understand what the doctors are actually trying to say because she got a condition that isn't curable and it's a long-term process. And she was seeing all these pitfalls and the dysfunctions as a patient and just... Was, uh, was like, I'm a doctor. I should, this shouldn't be this difficult, right? So now she's got programs where she'll go around and, and talk about these things and, you know, as well as like contract negotiations and for the doctors, as well as patients understanding what they're getting with their insurance, where you can find uh, the pitfalls. Plus, we actually talk about uh, race relations and, you know, from where she was raised versus like the South and people of color. And, and uh, we don't really get political with it. It's just sort of her life experience, what she's seen and uh, the, the changes that have occurred and definitely occurring now presently. So this is a really good episode. Even at the end, she's got amazing tips for relationships because her and her husband had to live apart for a while while she was uh, doing doctor stuff. And then they came together and... Anyway, it's just a good episode. I'm really excited that the final China episode is this one. We did have some, I wanted to do 150, so like two more episodes, but one guy sketching conflicts, the other one, we just couldn't get it on the same page before I decided to stop recording episodes. So uh, it is what it is. We're going to take a break. It's been three years, like we said before in a previous uh, episode or two. So super excited to spend time with the family and just relax a little bit and pick this podcast back up after a little break. So Enjoy Dr. Bradley and I's conversation. Show notes are at a doctorsperspective.net slash 148. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Chicago, today on the podcast, we have a great guest. But before I introduce you, I just want you to know today is the last time I will say live from China because I am moving on. So this is a very special episode. And Let's just jump right in. It's going to be a, a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon with a fellowship in hand surgery. She has a, a whole platform called Chicks with MDs, which is partially the reason why we had her on because I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but it's a professional think tank to ensure continued care, educational empowerment of patients. And she's going to lecture on lots of different topics like 
private practice building, contract negotiations, disability and malpractice coverage. I'm sure that's the best hour. And uh, helping students <laughs> get into med school residencies and the all-encompassing work-life balance that we always ask about at the end of our show. So please welcome Dr. Lisa Witte Bradley. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Justin. I'm so happy to be here. I, I'm. This is like the ultimate nerd experience for me because I've been binging your podcast and I really love your vibe. And I'm just so honored to be um, to participate in one of these podcasts because I think your platform is awesome. And thank you for being approachable and funny and engaging and just things that we really need in the healthcare arena right now. Well, I really do appreciate that. Um, we always got to jump in of all the things that you could have done in life. You chose medical doctor, then you chose plastics, and then hands. I think plastics, I kind of, you know, I think a lot of people just kind of go straight to face, maybe breasts, you know, stuff like that. And then you chose hands. And I was daydreaming about that the other day about, you know, there's foot doctors, there's teeth doctors. Why is there no special just handology? You know? Oh, yeah. Trust <laughs> not just me. There's a doctor. A- there's a whole hand specialty out there, and we really come to light around uh, snow blowing season when people decide they want to put their hands in the snow blower, and then also uh, farm harvesting when they put their hands in the mm. auger. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there's a whole aspect of plastic surgery that is just dedicated to hand surgery. And that's just a little bit of what I do. Most of the time, what I do is breast reconstruction associated with uh, breast cancer. Um, we, and we just got finished. October was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we had an entire campaign on that. So anybody out there listening, if you have boobs, get them checked out. Make sure you're doing your exams. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, there's a whole the, the spectrum of plastic surgery is something that, unfortunately, most medical doctors don't get exposure to, let alone the the entire, uh, com, you know, just healthcare community. But we're, we don't just do boobs and butts, although that's what's on TV all the time. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 the best field in uh, healthcare. That, but I have no bias in that regard. <laughs> Of course, of course. I, I remember as a chiropractor, we don't see a lot of certain things. And this one lady had come in one time and she had to have them both mastectomies. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess her insurance didn't pay to get them reconstructed very well. Mm-hmm. So she just had like scars and was like, you know, very just self-conscious about the whole thing and had pain yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, man, come on, insurance companies. This, yeah. That should be step one, remove it. Step two, fix it. Yeah, we well actually there is it's federally mandated that not only does uh, your insurer have to cover breast reconstruction following um, mastectomies or lumpectomies, but we they also have to cover the opposite side, the contralateral breast to make them symmetric. So yeah, so thank goodness Fantastic. we have that, but that's why we have to stay engaged and aware of what's going on from the legislative aspect of healthcare, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in terms of rollback of patients' rights. So we have to stay on top of it because they will remove some of those protections if we allow them. So I have the same issue like everybody else. Absolutely. You want to do one thing and then they, they try to cut costs somehow and then Patients don't even get the things that they need. Absolutely. And the other thing is that people aren't aware. So we have to make sure they're aware. Otherwise, they won't even access those rights that they do have. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, again, when I think, you know, plastic surgery, a lot of times you think, like you said, TV shows. But in reality, you, you get your hand chopped. You want somebody to not only fix it, but make it presentable, too, if they can. <laughs> right. 
That's a whole two. That's two skills right there. The ER can fix you, but somebody else has to make it pretty. I would think. Well, yeah, you know, you really want to restore function, and when you restore function and you keep those principles in mind, then you will you'll you'll perform well uh, from a from a surgical standpoint. So there are a lot of hand surgeons out there. So there's three tracks that you can pursue in order to do hand surgery. You can do orthopedics. Mm-hmm and then do a hand fellowship. You can do plastic surgery and then do a hand fellowship. And there are a small percentage of hand surgeons that are just trained in general surgery. So those are the three major tracks to pursue uh, for um, hand surgery. But yeah, and, and those guys in orthopedics and general surgery, they do just as good of a job. We all have those same principles in mind, though, of restoring function and making sure that we're preserving exceptional surgical technique. I was about to say, regardless of how you get there, the fellowship is the fellowship yes. when you're focusing on the hand. And so it's, it's all goes back to what you're doing. Yes. Okay. So that's fun. This, I enjoy listening and learning about all these things. But a big passion of yours is this chicks with MDs. I love it because you're a double minority. Yeah. Uh, you know, not white and a woman. So that's yes. two, two wild things out there in the MD world. <laughs> And we can definitely talk about that because you have a pro, you know, when you're talking about students and everything mm-hmm. like that, I'm pretty sure that's a roadblock for some people. And, you know, you've been doing it for a while. So that, to me, if you want to talk about it later on or at some point, if, it, if it's part of your journey. Oh, it's, abs- it's absolutely part of my journey. And, you know, the good thing for me is that I grew up in Brooklyn. And when you're when I don't you know, I'm not sure what it's like being a child in Brooklyn right now. But growing up in the 80s, you had to learn there was always you defending yourself against the world. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I always focused on what my um, strengths were and what I brought to the table. And that's just kind of how I pursued medicine as well. Um, And the other thing is, is that I was surrounded in my family by people who pursued things, whether or not they were allowed or not. They just did it out of survival. Ooh. And so that was always, you know, there, there were a lot of entrepreneurs in my family or there are a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. So it was never like, oh, I don't know if I can do that because everybody was surfi- surviving and thriving, whether or not the larger society said we were supposed to or not. And so that's how I pursued medicine. And so when I decided I wanted to do surgery and it was like, well, there's not a lot of women, there's not a lot of people of color well, that's just too bad. Here I am anyway. And so that's just yeah. kind of how I engage the world. So, and you really have to have that. And you know how it is. I mean, you're living in Asia right now, right? So, I mean, yeah, you're doing yeah. things that aren't necessarily typical of life and you just have to pursue them. And there's, a, there's always going to be noise outside that says you shouldn't, you can't, you won't, it's not possible. You just have to pursue it. There's a whole lot of people succeeding in the world right now who didn't exist two decades ago. They're the entity of, um, what's the guy? I'm blanking on his name from Amazon right now. That guy. Bezos. Yeah, Bezos, right? This guy didn't exist two decades ago. We didn't know who he was. There was no Amazon. And so, you know, you have to think outside of the box. And that's how we have to pursue things, not just as women or people of color, but people who want to engage uh, a larger audience, or even just if they're engaging their patients in their office, you have to be focused on being better than you were the day before. And so that's just kind of how I pursue things. And um, when you meet people who are minorities, 
um, in whatever arena. They usually have that same type of focus, like, okay, well, I, I couldn't before, but I'm doing this. I'm pursuing this. So, yeah. yeah. Is, is it hard? I, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, you know, I'm the only white guy in town. So when I walk into like a wedding or a big function, I'm like, oh, okay, everyone's staring at me. And I'm like, is that what like the one black guy in an entire white church quote? <laughs> is that what it feels like? I'm like, oh, this is weird. And that's just like all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say there's a difference between, say, you know, people of color in like Brooklyn versus the South, I come from South Louisiana. Like, oh, is yeah. there a different yes. mentality yes. there? There is a different mentality because, um, and I say this because I've visited the South a, a number of times and there is still the, the culture of the South. And, you know, somebody from the South may disagree with me, but when I go down to Southern areas, there, there's still a culture of, um, accepted segregation and accepted um, concepts of inferiority and superiority. And um, that it's been generations and centuries of um, inbred thoughts of that. It's not fact, it's cultural acceptance of those things. And so um, there are some people, and it's changing down there because you're having a migration from the North to the South. So you have mm-hmm. people of color who have never lived under that structure, right? They are, they're from New York. They're from L.A. They're from all of these people who didn't live in that environment. So when they go down to the South, they rebel. Mm. Those are the first type of people who are changing that dynamic. The other people that are changing it are the new generation who have been exposed to, to freedom on a variety of levels, social media, going to university, going, engaging other people. And so they're bringing a new culture into the South. And that's a big reason why you're having this dynamic in the White House and why you're having this cultural war, because the United States is changing. And it's changing Mm -hmm. because now people of color and immigrants and all of these people are getting more pieces of the American pie. And that is very frightening to people who have been um, raised for generations to think that they are superior simply because of their birthright and not because right, right. Of what they're doing to improve their communities or to strengthen the bond between their family members. So yes, there's definitely a difference, but it is changing. But there are still some, you know, smaller communities in, you know, rural wherever where they hold right. tight to those beliefs because that's really all they have left because they had a lot of these people haven't ventured out. They haven't ventured out and tried to figure out how do I improve just my nuclear family? And so, and, and, and they hold on to these beliefs that they have. Um, and the, uh, the last structure that's breaking that down is that they have people, usually younger folks within their own families who are bucking against those beliefs from generations so it's it's it'll get better but it's taken some time but yeah i definitely noticed the difference between the north and the south well there's definitely you could say the younger kids i mean i'm i consider myself still young but not really Mm -hmm. but you got social media Mm -hmm. obviously showing you like hey these are some strong people of color that you could be that too and you you might be in a small town but you could become this and then i mean face it i know people that have never left louisiana or never left their little 50 mile, 100 mile radius their entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And that blows me away. I'm like, how, what? 
you've never wanted to go to yeah. the beach. You got to go out of the state to see a beach. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really what that's really what confines people is that if, if you want. And it's the same. It's the same thing out here in Chicago. I'm in Chicago now. There are people who have literally never left the South Side of Chicago. They've never. They don't go downtown. They don't. They, people who visit from other countries have been down to the Magnificent Mile, and they haven't been down there. And when you, you, I mean, for years we were legally segregated, and now people are just voluntarily mm. segregating themselves, and that limits you. It limits you. It stifles your growth. And it allows you to to just fester in your own little pot of funk and hate. And so, uh, yeah, we've got some work to do. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. These small towns, they can just, you know, live and breathe that same existence because they don't they never venture out. I mean, you, and we'll, we'll get out of this in one second. Even like a school, like in a high school, if you had an older brother and stuff like that, sometimes they judge you based on what your older sibling did. You're like, I'm not that person. Like, I'm not, I'm not. Can I, can we get a clean slate here? You know? (laughs) Right, right. And sometimes you're bullied by that older sibling or by that, you know, hateful person in your family, just like they're doing to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's bridge into, let's say we mentioned it before, the Chicks with MDs. Give us a little... A little taste of what's that all about? What's the mission? And, you know, in the beginning of the show, when introduced you, you have lots of different topics that you can talk about, like contract negotiations to me is really, that's important. And uh, if you don't know about that stuff, man, the hospital will take advantage yes. of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so um, just to give you a brief background for me of how it, it the Chicks with MDs came to be. I was in private practice in central Illinois for about four and a half years. And uh, my husband and I had a um, young baby and we were living apart. So I moved to Chicago so that we could live as a unit. And when I got here, like literally within a month of me getting here and starting, you know, contract negotiations with hospitals and getting a private practice loan and all this stuff, I was diagnosed with MS. And that kind of everything came to a crashing halt. I had to figure out how to evolve as a physician and a healthcare provider and a parent and a spouse and a community member with this new diagnosis because I couldn't work the way I was previously. I was working myself to literally to death. And mm-hmm. I, I created Chicks with MDs because I still wanted to serve the medical community. I still wanted to get out and work at whatever capacity I could. And uh, most importantly, because going through this process of becoming a patient, I started identifying things that were detrimental to patients, that were detrimental to physicians and other docs and um, administrators and people who were trying to engage the healthcare community. And most importantly, I realized that there was a significant divide between what physicians were trying to get across to patients and what patients were interpreting or receiving. So I wanted to try and bridge that divide. And I thought that I was in a very unique position because I had been a physician for so long and now I was a patient. 
And I wanted to relay things to people that I found were absent in my experience as a patient and the frustrations that I had dealing with uh, my health care insurer and getting my, my health insurance getting dropped by the medical center and then me getting a surprise bill for $26,000 in the mail. And how do you mm-hmm. deal with that? And who is your support? And so that's where that all came from. And um, when I started started thinking about what should I call this entity that I have? And I thought about like who I was and the fact that I didn't want to separate and make this like some corporate entity, but that I wanted to make it engaging. And I wanted people to see it and immediately be interested in what I might have to say. Didn't like what I called it or because they did like what I called it or because the logo engaged them or whatever. And so that's where chicks with MDs, um, the the title came from, and then the logo kind mm. of evolved from there. But it really is my personality. Like this is just who I talk a lot. I like to go out and ask people questions and get people to say things that I may or may not like and answer questions. And but most importantly, inform and educate and empower folks. And I feel like I've been able to do that. And every year the platform evolves and I do a little bit more, do things differently. But I've found that people are utilizing the information that I have. um, And I I feel like I need to do more and more and more because the, you know, like you had a post, one of your podcasts was talking about uh, chiropractic health and that when people have health insurance, how their hospital stays go down and how they, uh, perform and how they uh, recover is improved. Those things are essential. Um, And also you talked about uh, that we're like number one in healthcare cost, uh, but we're like Mm -hmm. 50th in terms of performance. Yikes, right? So that's what we're trying to work on. You know, like how do we improve people's outcome and how do we improve their quality of life, which is so essential because we shouldn't just be treating a disease. We should be focusing on how to make people's existence better on a day to day by treating their illnesses, but not just focusing on, you know, like something that is a pet peeve of mine is when like uh, students or residents or whoever presents on rounds and they, it's like, this is a, uh, uh, we have appendicitis. Like, well, we don't have an appendicitis. We have a human <laughs> being, you know? Like, yeah. First and last name. This is Bob. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like before this person with appendicitis came in, they were a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, an accountant, uh, the, the maintenance guy here at the hospital. You know, they have a major presentation in the morning. Yeah. Like, come on, give me a break. You know, because when you start to um, when you don't uh, when when the when you the patient loses their humanity in your regard, that changes how you treat that patient. So you have to focus on folks and remember who they are and remember, keep in mind who these people are before they come in the door Um, and present with this acute illness. And that will change how you treat patients. And it should change how you treat patients. So that's kind of tricks with MDs. That's wild because, you know, MS is not something that is easily taken care of. Like you said, there's lots of of visits that go along with that. And many doctors typically, and lots of different avenues of between diet and medicines and finding a balance. So what what an eye-opening experience 
to really have it flipped on your head where you're the patient and it's not an easy diagnosis. It's not just, let's just cut out your appendix and you'll be better. <laughs> right, right. You know? And then go back to like, work in two weeks. Right. Yeah. No. Right. right. That's a big hurdle to have to jump. You know, you were mentioned the, the stat. I want to say America in the developed countries, we're not so great at even keeping mothers alive. No. Like, no. You know. Maternal mortality roof. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think about it, but apparently it's a thing and it's a thing that we should not be Right. Boasting that, about in America. I can't actually, believe that. That's actually the next campaign I'm working on is uh, maternal mortality. So stay tuned wow. for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure what, you know, when you look at your social media and you're looking at things and I wasn't completely sure what Chicks with MDs did. I wasn't more if it was like an advocacy group or if it was more like a, you know, ladies, let's get together. <laughs> you know, a lot of ladies like to, you know, you're always buying together and you become out stronger. And all of a sudden the guys are like, I want to be a part of something like that. And you're like, wait, that's like every other organization. You're like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so are you, or I guess, how are you getting your message? Are you having to market to different major medical associations in different states or that people find, how does that work? You know, it's been a blessing because people, um, because I do a variety of different articles um, and because of my posts, people find me um, like you found me. I was like, yeah. how do they find me? <laughs> and so um, I'm just on social media. So I'm on like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, I have a website. And one way or another, people find me. And um, I think it's because there is a critical need for this type of information and there aren't enough platforms that are really addressing it. Mm-hmm. And the platforms that are addressing it exceptionally, a lot of times they're not on social media. So a lot of times we, as and this is that cluster of you know women coming together, a lot of times we social media folks will come together and do things to just try and get the word out. So like when, if you're okay with me doing it after we get done with this, I would like to share a link on my platform so that people know about you. Cause I was like going through your posts and I was like, this is awesome. Like how come <laughs> Dr. Justin isn't all over the place? I mean, like you have all your, what, what do you call your, your um, chiropractic moments? What do you call mm. it? It has like a, um, a catchy term that you, you know what I'm oh, talking you about. See, <laughs> I have to look it up. I think you're looking at my clinic site that I really don't play with a lot, but I was playing with it for a long time yeah, and I kind of like yeah. paused. Right. But yeah. all of those things are very engaging and people love that type of information. The other thing I liked about you, like your podcast is that they're short. And so it's just like a quick blip of information. So, cause you know, people's attention span is like, not there. Like for me, my attention span's not there. So I've started to do very short video clips because I'm like, I know I'm not the only one with a short attention span, but I want to give people a lot of information in a short, in a very uh, short amount of time. And I think that's critical to just know how people are communicating nowadays and make sure that we get the information out in a format that is appealing to them where they get the most out of it. You see, I can appreciate that because in the marketing of like the podcast marketing of, you know, a lot of those blog posts that you're liking, this red book over here, I turned it into a book. So it's not like a brand new information. It's called repackaging. <laughs> but that's, that's smart. But, you know, you, you listen to gurus and they're like, sometimes you need three to five minutes. If it's this kind of post on this website, you need like seven to nine minutes. And I'm thinking, I'm like, 
I don't have enough time in the day to be watching seven minute videos of anybody. Like, mm-hmm. It better be a really good, funny YouTube clip or something for me to like stick around. Right. And uh, internets are so crazy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get good internet and other times you're like, I can barely buffer through a minute. And so mm-hmm. to be able to have that variety. And I think, you know, we attract who we like or right. people who like who exactly. has, I want quick videos. Well, you get quick videos right. and then you have blog posts. If you want to read, you can read and just kind of go down that right. rabbit hole and you attract mm-hmm. who you want to attract. So, okay. I think this is a fun question. Are there any, any misconceptions about what you're doing? And is there any, you've kind of given a couple takeaways, but whether it's the patient advocacy part or the doctor advocacy for the patient, kind of keeping those in mind, any major takeaways that we should have uh, just from listening to, to this episode? Um, you know, the misconceptions aren't associated with chicks with MDs. Like I, I would say like at the beginning, I did a um, uh, like a women's wellness, some type of expo and a man. Like, I mean, like I had all day, it was a women's expo. And so like all of these women all day were like, oh my God, I'm going to sign up for the email. All this. And at the end of the day, this older guy came up and he was like, don't you think that women would be insulted that you have this, this entity called chicks with MDs? And I was like, no. And, and <laughs> no, you're the only one all day. And he's really the only one who has ever um, relayed any that, that he was insulted uh, by the name. The only uh, issues that people in terms of misconceptions is really about plastic surgery and plastic surgeons, because most of the time when people approach me or when they find out that I'm a plastic surgeon, it's like, oh, boots or, or oh, but. And that is like for pla- uh, the average plastic surgeon that goes to work every day and sees patients. Boobs and butts, they're th- you know, they're thrown in there. But the majority of people are coming to you because they either have hand surgery complaints or they have skin cancer or sometimes you're fixing a baby's cleft lip and palate or a, a large percentage of plastic surgeons out there are doing breast reductions, breast reconstruction for, for cancer. Um, we're doing, you know, what we call bread and butter stuff. And so it's not that we don't enjoy doing boobs and butts, but that's really not what comprises plastic surgery. So if I can talk about misconceptions, it's really about what people, how people perceive plastic surgeons. And this is another reason why I like using social media, because it gives the international community another side another view of what plastic surgeons are that we do advocate for our patients all day every day that we go to multidisciplinary breast conferences every month every week to advocate for our patients that this is how we need to approach doing breast reconstruction who's a good candidate who isn't a good candidate and so and, and we take that back to our offices and share that with our patients. And we are constantly in a quest to get, to relay better care. So if there's, um, the misconception is really about plastic surgeons and how we're perceived and that we're basically like the um, you know, lawyers of uh, the medical community. And, you know, my bad if any lawyers are, uh, <laughs> like that. but that that's kind of, you know, how like, you know, lawyers are perceived as an- ambulance chasers. It's like, you know, <laughs> people think yeah. that, you know, we trench coats and then we walk into like uh, strip clubs handing out our business cards. And 
God love them. They need care too, right? But those ladies right. need care too. But we do a lot more in terms of trying to advocate for folks. Um, and then what, what was the other part you wanted me to address? Uh, like the, the um, Oh, it was. And I think, you, like I said, I think you probably answered this part already. If someone was listening to this and they're like, what's one or two ways that a, like patient advocacy and then doctors knowing about, make sure they, they address the patients correctly. Right. So patient advocacy is, is, um, can be very tricky because you want to make sure that you are um, educating folks and that you're making sure that they have access to adequate resources, which sometimes may not be you, right? Sometimes mm. when a patient comes to see us, sometimes they don't need a breast reduction or sometimes that's not the first step. Sometimes it's, are you wearing the correct bra? Um, Do you have chronic back issues? Have you had a back injury and that's resulting in your symptoms? Because I mean, like if you've had big boobs for 20 years and you just started having back pain 18 months ago after a motor vehicle accident, that might be your problem. You know what I mean? Rather than saying, you know what, these big boobs, sometimes... We're, we have to look at, once again, this is looking at the patient comprehensively, uh, globally, like what's going on? What has changed? And if nothing hasn't, if we haven't addressed some things, like can we work on back strengthening, you know, exercises? Um, you know, have, what, what have we done to try and uh, improve your quality of life before we go to surgery? So typically this isn't like a 250-pound woman or something like this, kind of like a fit woman with ease or whatever. And like my back hurts. Well, you know, and and what sometimes it is, it can be an obese woman. But once again, you have to look at somebody globally, because if you're obese and you've been obese for a while and you've had big boobs for a while, and then you start having back pain out of the blue, we need to address that versus I've had big boobs for 20 years. I've had back pain for 20 years and I've just tolerated it. That, Mm. you know, that's something that you get from a history, you know, and we that's, you know, something that we hone and revise and 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 build on over our practice lifetime. But you have to, you know, being um, a great doctor is not just about, you know, cutting somebody or knowing how to manipulate somebody's spine effectively. It's also about how do we uh, get people to tell us what we need to know? You know Mm. what I mean? Like. What what is it that, you know, the, you learn you these skills over time? How do I hone this information and get these nuggets of gold so that I can effectively take care of the patient? Not just so I can, you know, charge for whatever procedure. And that's the, what the majority of people are trying to do when they're caring for patients is mm-hmm. how do I get the, the appropriate information so I can make the right diagnosis and treatment plan for you? Because it's hard to pull some of this information out. Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, but that is major advocacy is when you're looking to make sure that the patient is taken care of, not necessarily so that, you know, you're getting your case logs, you know, that you're getting Mm -hmm. a pro like, okay, well, let's okay, you're here for breast reduction. Okay, we're getting you scheduled for breast reduction. That's what you want. I'm going to give it to you. It's not my job to convince you not to have it. (laughs) Right. Sometimes advocacy is saying, Okay, well, you came here for this, but you've got a suspicious lesion here on your hand since we've been talking. How long has mm-hmm. that been there? Or well, I'm not worried it, about that. Well, right, 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 right. And sometimes it's 
um, going through somebody's history and saying, you know, the symptoms that you're describing can also be associated with your history of X, Y, and Z. So that's also advocacy. And then advocacy is also on a larger platform of let's also do breast cancer awareness month. Let's also make sure that people are not going to seedy hotel rooms to get silicone in, uh, injections into their butts, you know, do, yeah. but, so all of that is advocacy, but okay. um, yeah. So, you know, it, it comes in, in different forms. And we, the, the other thing is, is that, you can advocate every day on some level. What sometimes sometimes it's me advocating for other physicians, and I know that uh, people are like physicians don't need any further advocacy. But when you, <laughs> but when, when you, you can't do the job you want to do, <laughs> but, but when you talk to people and you figure out, like for me, when I got diagnosed and I started reviewing my all of my contracts, my disability contract, my malpractice contract, my health insurance contracts. I started talking to other docs like, hey, do you know what kind of disability insurance you have? Do you have disability insurance? And that's really how I got on the track of not just advocating for patients, but also advocating for physicians. And who else is going to advocate for physicians but another physician? Because I've gone through all of these plot twists and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, had the floor fall out from under me. And I wanted to try and help other docs so that they were not in the same predicament that I was in or in some of the things that I actually did do well. I wanted to make sure that they had that information as well. So that's all advocacy, though. And, you know, we don't have to, you know, like advocacy, once again, is not just getting a bullhorn, you know, like and doing I a burn standards. You know what I mean? It's sometimes uh -huh. it's just having a conversation with somebody like, hey. I went through this experience that was very traumatizing and I want to make sure if I can prevent you from going through that, I want to. That's advocacy. All of that is advocacy. I, mean, I remember doing disability insurance and realizing like 90 days. It's like, my goodness, like you can go bankrupt in 90 days. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And some disability pro um, policies are, are 180 degrees. I'm sorry, 180 days. That's a long time yeah. to not be able to practice. Are you kidding me right now? That's six months. So, yeah, yeah, you have to, you know, make sure that people are prepared. Like, do you have an emergency fund? And, uh, you know, there's unfortunately, there's a lot of people, no matter what they're making every month, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. That's right. I bet you and in Chicago, <laughs> you could probably get a, it's not hard to probably find a, a multi-million dollar uh, condo yes. and live the good life. Yeah. Yeah. And spend or and be house poor or condo poor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of surgeries you got to do there. <laughs> you better advocate all day long, my friend. <laughs> Man, we better have a snow season. You know, we used to joke as chiropractors. I was in Colorado. I'd mess up with my uh, assistant. Like, Man, I don't want them to slip in my house, in my, in my neighborhood area. But uh, if they want to slip at their house, but that's some really good back patients right there. <laughs> Just a minor sprain. We don't want big surgery. You know, nothing serious. Just come in a couple times. Come on. Let's get some ice. No, we're just joking, though. Uh, doctors can joke. Come on. I know. And you know what, though? It becomes morbid. Like, we got to stop. We got to stop hanging around each other. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Agging each other on. Come on. What you got? Well, I always like to respect people's time. I'm noticing the time. And one of the things... um Boy, there's so many, like so much to talk about. Um, 
I'm going to skip five-year goals unless you really would like to talk about those. Um, what, what, are, what are my five-year goals? Yeah, we could either talk about that or we could jump to the more personal side of the interview. Which would you prefer? <laughs> well, how about I give you like a minute of five-year goals and then we can go on to the next one? Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, another great thing that came out of all of this chaos is that I started writing um, fiction. And so one of my five-year goals is to publish a book of a book or a short, uh, a, a full-length or a short story book every year for the next five years. So I've done my first book of fiction, which is under Stella Jones is my pseudonym, um, and I've published that in 2018. And I have a book of short stories coming out at the end of this year, and so I'm going to do that. That's one of the things. The other thing is, is that this last year I've spent um, going back into clinical medicine. I've been very fortunate to be able to find part time. You'd be surprised how hard it is that when you have a disability as a, a physician, that it's very hard to, number one, get on staff because they think, you know, you're Humpty Dumpty, that you're going to like fall. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be responsible. Um, but then also just being able to mold a practice where you take care of your health. Because you know how it is in healthcare. It's like you could work yourself to death and then they'll just like post a for lease sign in front of your office space. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so it, it's, it's been a, um, great in that regard that I've been able to find um, a clinical practice where I can work and take care of patients. So I'm, I'm building up that. But then I also want to find a way to incorporate, go back out there kind of on the road and do lectures because I really feel like there's a great impact when you can go and engage people and talk mm -hmm. to them and not only provide information like in a lecture, but you really gain a lot in terms of being able to relate information when you have like the question and answer or you have a round table afterwards and being be able to engage people because then they can take that back into the community and share that with other folks. Like, you know, make sure you're getting your mammograms, make sure these are the options you have. And then the same thing when I talk to physicians, that they can go back out and carry that information about contract negotiations, the disability, malpractice, et cetera. Okay. Those are my five-year goals. Is, it, is any of this stuff CE? For the medical doctors, or this is all just sort okay. of things the, you should know? The CME, you mean, like the continuous yeah, medical education? When I work, like sometimes I go out and I contract to work for other companies. And usually those, when I do those lectures, those are CME affiliated so that they, they're already at a course where they're getting CME. Mm. But when I go out independently, it's just me. And most of the time when I go out independently, I mean, I, I talk at a variety of places like churches. Sometimes I go and I give grand rounds presentations at other um, universities. And then so if I give a grand rounds, that is CME. Right. But like if I go to a church or if I'm talking at a women's group or something, no. Right. But there are a no. lot, I would say probably it's like 50 50 that um, whether it's whether they do get credits. But if I do it independently, no. But if I go and talk like with the university or whatever it is. And congratulate, because I think this is one of the things about the, the medical profession. We can just work two or three days a week, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a fit, quote, working. When we say work, we think we're de dealing with patients. And then anything else is like a side job or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But for real, yeah. like that's like two full-time jobs for you. Like right. I do this to keep my skills up and I enjoy it and I love it. Mm -hmm. And then I have this passion project that I really want to mm -hmm. make bigger. Mm -hmm. And that takes probably, you know, like you said, more weekend type of stuff, like a Friday or a Sunday or something like that to, you know, travel more. Yeah, It, it starts to all, it, it becomes like a, um, 
a melting pot. Like it, eventually it all starts to in, infuse. One one starts to infuse into the other where it's like, um, I don't know, maybe vegetable soup or um, I'm not sure, maybe ice cream, two flavors of ice cream melding together. But they, bone they, broth. they wind up influencing each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that also makes you um, approachable from a, a patient perspective, when they, when they know that you do other things, mm-hmm. um, you know, like medicine, unfortunately, the perception is, is that it's very sterile. And so you tell people, Oh, I also write fiction or, or, Oh yeah, I'm on social media. You can find, it's like, what? You're like, you have, yeah, it's weird. you know, so it, it, people, it allows you to engage folks and then and it also it, it drops the wall you know because there's a, a perception that you're not approachable or I shouldn't talk to you about other things that I may find interesting or intriguing or whatever and mm. when people drop their guard they're more likely to relay information that maybe they thought you would judge them or whatever so it, there's there's been no drawback for me for engaging mm-hmm. on social media. I did a uh, African-American series, man, I guess two Christmases ago, kind of like the whole holiday series. All those ladies, they mm-hmm. end up all being in, all ladies for some reason. And <laughs> <laughs> between now and then, it has been great to follow them. They're releasing mm-hmm. books and mm-hmm. workshops and yeah. programs and all these different projects. And I'm just like, wow, I yeah. caught them before they did that stuff. Yeah. And they were already yeah. looked like a shining light to me. Yeah. So it's really cool to just see uh, these these people just come up and, and have the social media presence and they have their own following and they're doing their, and they're just doing it. And, you know, the, the thing is that social media has allows people to pursue all of these entrepreneurial goals that, you know, sometimes we just kind of keep to ourselves or what people do in their basements where nobody else is watching. Yeah. And you get inspired and motivated when you see other people out there doing it. Like, oh my goodness. I, I could be doing that. You know, I've got a book. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I can't even tell you how many people like send me DMs and all this. Like, hey, I'm, can would you read this paragraph? Like, yeah, send it to me. You know, I mean, like people have all of these dreams and ideas and sometimes you get older and the what you learn from your family or from society is that, oh, that's kid stuff or those, mm-hmm. those are passions. That's not your life. It's like, whoa, <laughs> like you're supposed I can make to- it both, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take a helping of both of those things, please. Like you should be able to mix them. And when you're pursuing your passion for me anyway, it's not work. Right. It's just like, it's, that doesn't mean it's not hard. But it's not a chore. You know what I mean? It's like these are things that motivate me, that inspire me. And I, I think that there's a misconception like, oh, well, if you're following your passion, you're just playing around. You're not working. Please, I could, I'm sure you could spend 14 hours in one day doing all the stuff that you're doing and just be like, man, I still have <laughs> another 20 hours to do, but I need to go to bed. And I'm just yeah. fired up to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you got your husband yeah. and your, your kid. Hey, can we <laughs> have some of your time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I actually have insomnia. So I do most of my writing. Even in the better. Of the night. <laughs> <laughs> like, who needs I can't sleep. sleep. <laughs> I'm going to just do something. Yeah, so I mean, it's been great. I mean, it, it's uh, it's been a journey. I got a one-year-old. It feels like I have insomnia. Oh, it's oh, like, oh, would you just God. stay asleep? Stop reversing. <laughs> Congratulations. 
Thanks. I remember those Cutest little days. Asian cage and you can imagine. <laughs> Mixed babies. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> oh, that is so oh, man. sweet. Yeah, I remember those days. Boy, one year old. All energy. It's fun though. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a young, I'm a young mid-30. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But let's do this. Okay. So you've got you got a husband. I'm sure he works. Yeah. You got a kid. You got your own stuff that you do a lot for. Now, it sounds like you do travel for that, so that might be considered vacation for you. But a lot of docs in general just don't take enough vacation. We don't use what we get or given. What can we do about that? How can we maximize our vacation that we're given? Okay, so it's, you, you got to get them young, okay? And that's a, a reason why I, I try to engage with medical students and undergraduate students and high school students and residents and fellows and everybody to try and tell them early, like taking care of yourself and and attending to those things that are most important to you is not a sign of weakness. Okay, I did nine years of postgraduate surgical training, which is way too much for anybody for five lifetimes. And the thing that was always stressed and not verbally, but just in actions was that, you know, sleep and eating and taking time for family and attending things that bring you joy is a sign of weakness. You carry that and they, they teach you that you get indoctrinated in medical school very early that these are signs of weakness, doing things that you love and enjoy. And these are things that are strength. And that's, you know, dedicating all your time to the hospital, which would bury you in the backyard and put, you know, put a for sale sign over your tombstone. So, now, are things changing? Yes, because the newer generation of people are very self-focused, okay? Yeah, I ain't working 60 hours a week for what? <laughs> so, so, you, so things are changing, right? But there's still, um, th- there's still a lot of unhealthy lifestyle practices in medicine and in, in just in the general population. But for me, I know medicine, so I try and teach people like, or show people like, Hey, first of all, you can make a decision very early on that you want to make max, 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 max profit, or that you don't like the, the people in your family, or you don't like your spouse. So you want to be at work all the time. Those are, mm-hmm. but those are choices. And you can also choose to work 75%, 50%, or that you have, like, there are certain practices that, uh, that I've uh, been affiliated with some of these physicians where every three months they have to take two weeks off. That's in their contract. So you don't Smart. have to, you don't have to go on vacation, but you can't come here. So they, it's structured into their practice. They work three months and then they're off two weeks or they're off four weeks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, basically you, you don't, and you can go somewhere else and work for that time, but you're not going to be here. So they, they kind of learn that this is part of your practice. Part of your practice is taking time off. Um, but also what's important is, especially for the younger folks is making sure that you attend to, don't forget about people. Don't, you know, go into medical school and residency and beyond and then not go to anybody's wedding. Forget about people having babies. Forget about those things for yourself. You have to structure time. It's just like for me, I have like and my husband hates it because I have like calendars all over the place. This is what (laughs) I do on this day. 
this is it, but there is when is my yoga time? Like for me, for my health, yoga has been like life changing. And so that's a part of me. And so at, because I do yoga so much now, everybody's doing yoga. The dog does yoga, you know, or at least she comes and sits on the yoga mat. But, you know, everybody's right. doing yoga. The kid, you know, uh, the, my daughter does yoga. My husband does yoga. My husband just did a marathon. And what did he do before he started? He did his sun salutations. Come on. <laughs> so, I mean, and, it, you know, it's like, and I we laugh until we do it and enjoy it. Yeah. And he didn't even, he didn't even say, hey, come and do this with me while I'm here. You, no, he just got up. You know, we went down there with him so he could get started on the marathon. He just, that was part of, that's part of his routine. So, but, you know, you have to be intentional about taking care of yourself. And so that's just mm-hmm. what I try and impart. And if I could say one last thing about this yeah. work-life balance, there is no work-life balance. True. Somebody is going to sacrifice. And you have to decide where the sacrifice is going to be because there's only 24 hours in a day. So you're not going to appease all of the gods. Somebody's going to have to take a little less. And my hope is that people decide that, their self-care and spending time with their family and friends and going to great events and taking vacations that they sacrifice more to enjoy those things rather than saying, okay, I'm going to sacrifice all of that and spend more time at work. My hope is that when they see me or they see you or they see whoever's out there doing something other than clinical, that they say, I can do this. It's possible for me to, you know, cheat a little bit more for myself and self-care and less time, but you, there's no balance. Somebody's going to have to take a hit. And usually there's seasons. Yeah, for sure. You might have a couple of weeks where you're like, look, I really gotta, I gotta bang this out for right. the next two weeks right? and then we'll, we'll have a break. Yeah. I, I tell people this sometimes if you kind of have been in practice for a while and you kind of got an idea of how much money you could make mm-hmm. or you do, you know what I mean? You can project that out based on RVUs and all that. Talk to your spouse. If you're like, I got to work all the time and, and, and y'all fighting about you don't see your kids and all this, you need to have that conversation with your spouse. Like, hey, if we made X amount less money, yeah, I could do that. We could do that. Yeah. I could take off this day or c- c- shut it down. That means we're going to lose this much income. Right. Are you cool with that? Right. And if you're not cool with that, then it is what it is. I think, you know, unfortunately, I have seen so many docs who make a whole lot of money and die and then you're not you're not making you're not taking that stuff with you you know what i mean you're working yourself into an early grave or you're depressed or you're you know you now you have a dependency on something to keep you um going and active like you know think about this i chose to work in china for almost five years i'm, I'm done now like two weeks this is the fifth right now, uh, and then I'm done on the fifteenth. I'll be back in America, January. I'm going to Cologne, Germany. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm gonna go to work there for a year, mm-hmm. and that's crazy for a lot of people. But I'm like, you know, that's what my thirties are gonna be. And when I look back in my life, it's like, dude, that decade of my life, I was doing something that most people won't do: working, traveling, enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And from then on, I guess I don't know what I'm gonna do, but you know, it's just one of those things where you can change it. You can change the priorities of your life. I'm not saying you gotta go work abroad. But you can take more time off and just realize that, hey, I'm still going to be okay financially, generally speaking. 
you know, because I think medical doctors versus other doctors, sometimes there's a difference in, you know, y'all got, usually have higher salaries mm-hmm. versus like a dentist where there's not really a salary. Typically, it's you eat what you kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it depends on, but, you know, dentists actually um, are in this healthcare arena are ahead of the game because of how mm. they negotiated in terms of their reimbursement from health, from uh, insurers. But that's a whole nother topic. But what, you know, what, and the other thing I want to say for anybody who, who is tuning in, who may be looking at things uh, from a second career perspective, or, you know, feeling like they're coming into this um, late in the game, is that even if you're, you know, like, when I when I started medical school, there was a guy who was a PhD who was starting medical school at age 50. My mom actually was an ICU nurse for 10 years. And then she, she and my father were, were married and they had us. And then she wanted she had been discouraged from going to medical school in high school and um, went back to uh, undergrad. We would go to classes with her and then she went to medical school and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for anybody who's tuning in, I don't want you to think that, you know, you're it's too late in the game for you or you can't still go and pursue things. And, you know, like the world is literally, you know, because you're halfway across the world that the world is still out there and open for exploring and pursuing. And I hope that people take from our exchange that they can pursue whatever profession they want in whatever way that they see fit, that there is not one mold for pursuing medicine or pursuing their life's passions. And that that may evolve over time, because I can tell you right now, if I never got sick, you and I would never have had this conversation because I would just be in clinical medicine. I would have never thought twice about that just being my life. But I'm very thankful that it evolved to this point where I am talking with you from halfway across the world and that we're, I think that in our, both of our ways, whatever we're pursuing this, that we're helping folks, that we're advocating for folks, you know, and a different way of being and pursuing and practicing medicine. I did a podiatrist a few months ago. (laughs) She, uh, ended up having like a heart surgery and Marfan syndrome and she had like 10 podiatry clinics and all this kind of stuff. She's like, yeah, that stopped. Yeah, you got a heart. You got to have a heart valve replacement or whatever it was. She's like, that'll change your priorities in life in a hurry. And she had her own, you know, awakening and journey that she had to go on. And she went to, you know, an allied health style of things. But um, last question, you ready for this one? Yes. In this show, we're kind of talking about money. We're talking about these spouses. Divorce happens. It's a higher rate for doctors, which is never good. So how are you able to keep the love alive and feel connected? Whew, boy, that's a hard one. Okay, so I think the first thing for me is um, communication, okay? You have to be able, your spouse has to be um, comfortable telling you when you're not being nice or when you're not being available um, and, that, and that you're open to those criticisms. I think as um, doctors, we're used to kind of in some realms or some arenas thinking that we're omnipotent or that we are in charge or and, you know, I think if you have honest communication in your household and with your spouse and with your children and your pets or whoever, 
you you have to relinquish whatever concepts that you have of yourself. When you walk through the door of your home, you have to know that you're on an equal playing field, that you have to be available, open, engaging. Um, and the other thing is you have to find a partner who, you know, is the yin to your yang, right? So for me, um, I love humor. And, there, you know, even if uh, my husband and I may be warring with one another, one another, there's always some type of humor. And um, I think that relaxes us both. Like we we can needle each other and still and, and that be, um, you know, reaffirming of our bond. And that for us, it was um, important that we were friends first because you can mm. go through so many tumultuous things in your relationship. Like my husband and I have been uh, together for 23 years, but we've been married for 11, right? Because we weren't going to be married while I was in training and all of that jazz. And so, I mean, as you can imagine, I mean, we've gone through a, a life period, like a life cycle, two life cycles. And so you have to be able to engage people outside of being attracted to them or them being, you know, a breadwinner or you being a breadwinner. There's got to be something um, you know, that 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 uh, where you communicate on a level and an understanding that other people just don't have, because yeah. when you have trying times, that's what's going to preserve your bond. Um, you know, and there are going to be times, you know, when I want to hit him over the head with a ruler and he wants to do the same to me. And so you mm -hmm. have to find, you know, you, you have to what, what am I? You have to be patient. And you also have to accept that those times will come and, and learn how to communicate even through those rough times. Because, you know, when we first started dating, I mean, it was like if we had an argument, it was like the entire situation just shut down. We just wouldn't talk to each other for days. Like, how is this going to work? Um, but, we, yeah. you know, figured out how to communicate. And it's like, um, you know, how to express ourselves, how to take time to, and also realizing that when you're wrong. You know, and, or even sometimes when you're not wrong, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want to salvage things. How do I communicate? How do I? Um, oh, and also making sure that sometimes even when your perception isn't that you're wrong, that sometimes you can still be wrong, even when you don't think you are. Uh, that's been very hard. Delivery for me. can be a, ma a massive issue, too, sometimes. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> I delivered some truth, but it was a bad yeah, delivery. Yeah. Like why? You know, and, and like. And my husband told me that the other day, like, you know, listen to yourself. It's like, I am listening to myself. I'm correct. I <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> sound great and in charge. Yeah, like, hello? Like, yeah. And just because you are factually correct, sometimes you, your words can be piercing. Especially for me, because I'm like the queen of sarcasm. And my comfort zone is just throwing spears. Like, you know, I can, you know, I can kill somebody with my words it's so I have to be cognizant of that that you know sometimes I just have to not say anything or I have to um what I've learned somebody I can, saw this on social media somewhere is that sometimes if you want to say something take five minutes or take a day and if you still need to say those things then say it and 99% of the time by the by the time the first minute is up I know that I don't need to say it um, because yeah. some things, you know, it's like, okay, you know, somebody's about to 
across the street and a car's coming, you say whatever you have to say so that person doesn't get run over. But, mm-hmm. you know, other times, like if they say something that you don't like and you know that you could just come back with a verbal response that would just murder them, you just don't need to do it. You just, you know, um, and that's also something that I had to uh, retrain myself out of after training for nine years because, mm-hmm. you know, you're a constant, you're in a constant state of defending yourself when you're a resident or a fellow or a medical student, whether on rounds, right. you know, because, why'd you do this? Why you do right, that? Right. And you're, so you're constantly like coming back with something and that becomes your defensive. It becomes your way of being. And that mm. way out in the world is not a good way to engage people. Right. So I had to yeah. relearn that. And I also, I have to like take a deep breath. Like after I've been in the hospital for a while, it's a different culture. So when you come home, you can't be like bossing people around like, hey, 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 no. At work, you are the top dog. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're in charge of everything. Yeah. I want the practice to run this way. I need the nurses to do this. It's all on me. I'm the surgeon. Because you just, you, if you, if you're not um, assertive, sometimes things don't happen for your patients and that can be detrimental to them. And so, but you can't take that back into the house. Like, hey. You know, I told you to get a price. Yeah. Where is it? You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, to take it down. So, um, you know, for for people in medicine, I think, you know, you have to learn how to engage your spouse, not as um, your subordinate or not even not even as your colleague. But this is your spouse. This is your life yeah. partner. And there's a difference in how you relate to them and to your children. The same thing. You're not a drill sergeant. You know what I mean? When you talk to your children you, and they're not just little, you know, miniature beings that are supposed to be just following your rule. You're also having they have their own personality. I'm learning. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, uh, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you wait. Wait till they're seven. <laughs> I have a seven year old right now. OK. I guess. And the other thing is, is that you're going to see parts of you in them. And it's like, hey. You know, only I'm the top dog around here. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, the assertion doesn't come from you. It comes from me. You know, like you have to, you know, you have to let your kids grow and be and evolve. And, and, and also they will tell you, you know, you're not being nice. You know, or you're not being fair. You know, you're not being fair. Uh, it's like, wait a minute now. Maybe I wasn't yeah. fair. Or, you know, but that's another time where I have to step back and say, you know, am I being fair or, you know, am I disciplining? Like, is this appropriate or isn't this appropriate? So it's a, and it's a journey, you know, and if, if my husband was here, I'm sure he would peek his head in and like, and she's still learning. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's an evolving <laughs> process. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I think, I don't know if that, that really, that, that answers the question, but. Definitely. I mean, you got to remember, I think for myself, sometimes I have to remember we're a team, mm-hmm. especially when, when we're really just in a stressful situation. Like we're having to pack up our entire life into four uh-huh. suitcases. That's some stress. <laughs> yeah. Is this coming or is this going? Right. Do you need it or do you just want it? <laughs> <Right>. You know, <laughs> and we have to we have to stop back, you know, every couple hours when we're really packing day and we're just like, hey, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. Good, good, good. All right. And then, you know, you just sort of give it a hug mm-hmm. and then you just kind of rebalance yourself and you kind of keep going. But if you don't, it's very easy, I would think, to just, like you said, spears and spears. And you know what really, I mean, I've always learned from, I had an older brother and a younger brother. So I kind of learned mm-hmm. <laughs> how to needle. find what aggravates somebody yeah. and, and play with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. oh, yeah. 
Well, let's have some websites. And do you have your? Do you know your handles for at least Instagram? I know handles for everything. So I have. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my website is www.chickswithmds.com. Uh, my social media handles for Facebook, Instagram, um, and LinkedIn is Chicks with MDs. Um, and uh, if you want to see my um, literary work, it's Stella Jones Paranormal Romance. But you can find all of my links and all of my social media handles on the website. There's a bar at the top on the landing page. And you can find out more than you ever wanted to know about me and my experiences on um, the website. Oh, also, if you um, and I have all of my links to my books uh, on the website as well. So I won't uh, snore you with all of those links. Um, But yeah, just go to the website, chickswithmds.com and you can follow me on social media. I would love to hear from you all. And thanks, Dr. Justin, for having me. This has been absolutely awesome. Well, you've been a top-notch guest, and I just love all the information. I don't mind going long because sometimes <laughs> you just got a lot to say, and it's good information, you know? So very happy to have you on. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully people will be hitting you up on all the flavors that you've just mentioned. <laughs> Thank you. Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a link tree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, holiday 2017, financial series, how to write a review, how to support the show, like buying a cup of coffee, getting swag, like t-shirts, the Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health book, that's the blueprints for better health, exercise, picking food correctly, and financial. And then of course, bundle packs, which can get you the no needle acupuncture book, 40 common conditions, including the electric acupuncture pin at a great deal. The resources page, has some of the products that I like. It's uh, affiliate style. So if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, Pure VPN, Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, ProLone Edge or Hawk Grips. Uh, once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone Diet, Fast Mimicking Diet, five-day plan. Let me know as well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, whether you need some practice growth, etc. Reach out. Facebook, Justin Trosclair, MCC. Of course, at a doctorsperspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend, pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you. Listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week. 
we just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trost-Claire, giving you a doctor's perspective. <laughs>